The following is a Sports Ethos presentation. Yo, 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 welcome to another episode of Roundball Ramble. I am your host, Corbin Ford. You can follow me on Twitter, at CorbinNBA. This is a Sports Ethos presentation, as the intro says, so check out Sports Ethos on Twitter, at Sports Ethos, pretty simple, online, sportsethos.com. Great fantasy uh, information, if you're looking for betting information. Fantasy basketball, regular basketball, baseball, football, you want it, they have it. So take advantage of it one more time on Twitter at SportsEthos, online, SportsEthos.com. Also, ladies and gentlemen, real quick, while I have you here, please take a moment to follow at EthosFantasyBK on Twitter, the single most dominant basketball and fantasy news feed on earth. Get all your NBA news in one handy Twitter feed. It is faster than competition and provides more analysis as well. Once again, that's at Ethos Fantasy BK on Twitter. Follow now. All right, y'all. Today is Wednesday, the twentieth of April. Yep, that's right. Four twenty, right? Mm-hmm. Also, uh, it is insurance day for me because I owe insurance. Well, I'd be like, I have to pay insurance today. It's bill day. Bills always stick out. I'm sure they do for you as well. Don't know why I share that with y'all, but you know it is what it is. Um, today is also a day we had some tremendous basketball uh, yesterday. I mean, we had one upset, one blowout, one competitively tough game down the finish with a career high involved as well. We'll break that down. And then we have three games tonight as well. Uh, one of which seems to be pretty compelling. And then two, I think, uh, I don't know. I mean, this is why I watch the games. This is why they play the games. But I already have my uh, educated opinion. And my educated opinion based on what I saw. But moving on, we're going to talk about these games first. Yesterday, we had the Hawks do battle with the Heat. The Timberwolves square up once again with the Grizzlies, and then the Phoenix Suns go at it with the AFC New Orleans Pelicans. Alright, in the words of my good friend Simon Sharon Gordon, uh, shout out to the swing man from back in the day, let's get the proverbial ball rolling and break down this uh, blow out here first. Grizzlies, Wolves, Grizzlies came back in monster fashion, blew out Minnesota, 124-96. to John Morant messed around and almost, almost got a triple-double, just under 30 minutes. He had 23 points, 10 assists, 9 rebounds, 9-16 from the field, knocked down two threes, had a scare. Uh, late in the third, uh, banged knees with Carl Towns, which was scary because you could see the impact of pain on Ja. He did come out. Uh, and he didn't need to come back in the game because the Grizzlies were ahead by, by uh, so much at the time it didn't matter. Um, the Wolves were in the midst of staging a comeback that was destined to fall way short. Uh, and so far, I mean, we'll stay tuned on it. They didn't look too bad afterwards. He did go to the locker room, um, but was seen later out on the bench. So there is um, at least some hope there. It, it was just maybe it's just a banger. You know, you feel it the next day. I, I mean, you're you're a normal-sized dude. Um like John Morant running into just an athlete and also a very big guy in cat, and you take a knee to the thigh, you won't feel it the next day. That's just how that's going to go, you know? But John Morant played well. He wasn't the star of the show in my mind, though. I think that 
we got to give some love to uh, the unsung hero, Taylor Jenkins. Why? Well, let's look down at the starting lineup. You had, of course, John Desmond Main in the backcourt. Jaron Jackson, Dylan Brooks in the front court, Steven Adams manning the middle. But but hold up now. Steven Adams only played two minutes, 50 seconds. Interesting. After game one, we did talk about how Steven Adams just was not a good matchup defensively for Cat. You know, Cat ran roughshod by him. Steven Adams looked slow and, and unprepared. And on um, the defensive side of the ball, you know, he does have a strength advantage, but he wasn't really able to make the most of that. So he just looked plotting and out of place there. And it just was what it was. It was not a very good fit for Adams. He wasn't able to bring his defensive acumen to bear. And it showed. So, what did Taylor Jenkins do? Well, Steven Adams' minutes got reduced to basically nil. And those minutes just got thrown over to Brandon Clark and Xavier Tillman. Both guys who stepped up in major ways. I mean, Brandon Clark, you know, 13 points, 3 rebounds, 2 assists, 5-8 from the field. Not bad. The real MVP to me, Xavier Tillman. Same thing, 13 points, 7 boards, 6-7 from the field, constantly wreaking havoc on the interior, forcing Minnesota's already slow defense to try to react even quicker as you have John Morant constantly penetrating to the basket and big guys just getting picks. Easy, easy shots, easy money around the basket. Xavier Tillman with a shot in the arm for the Grizzlies in their front court, was able to rebound the ball, mix it up, I mean, he was one of seven different players that had double figures for Memphis. Like, that's wild. They were one guy short of having eight. Dylan Brooks did not have a great game. Nine points, four assists, but three of 11 from the field missed every single one of his five threes. But Jaron Jackson stepped up in a major way. After, you know, being in foul trouble game one, came back, only had four fouls game two, 16 points, seven boards, and four threes. Desmond Bain, 16 points, four rebounds. Four assists. Zaire Williams, 13 points, hit a big three in the third. Tyus Jones does everything Tyus Jones has been doing all year. Steady guy at the point. Backing up Ja. 4-8 from the field. 1-2 from three. 1-2 from the free throw line. You know what that says to me? It says to me that's a guy who's going to be efficient. Make half his shots. Okay? Not take too many of them, so it's not going to impact the team that crazy. But he's going to be a steady hand. 10 points. Four rebounds. Three assists. There's not a massive drop-off. At the point guard position when Tyus Jones is in there. And I know I got some heat. Talking with my friends Alicia and Kelsey when I said, listen, y'all can consider Tyus Jones for six man of the year. I mean, yes, Tyler Hero is going to run away with it. But Tyus Jones, man, there is something to be said for an adequate backup point guard that does their job to the fullest. That's just how I feel. Grizzlies, man, just total team effort. You heard after game one, they basically collectively said, hey, there are things we can control in this matchup that we can bounce back on. We can give better uh, effort on the defensive end. We can make sure that we're not being massively out-rebounded. We can do a better job of matching up against Cat. And we can turn up our own level of play. And they did that. They most certainly did that. Um, just great collective win for the Grizzlies. On the Timberwolves side, eh, I mean, this is a young team. I'm just not, I'm, I'm going to be straight here. I feel like Minnesota is one of those teams that said, hey, we wanted to split on the on, on the road. We got that. We got game one. All right. Like, do we need to win game two? Yeah, if we do, okay. But if not, ah, that's just how I get. That's how I get the feeling of Minnesota. Like they did not come with the requisite energy, um, knowing that hey, Memphis about to hit you on the mouth. Like, what y'all gonna do? How are you gonna get back? Uh, they started out slow and they never got it together. Memphis got an early lead and rolled. Um, but in terms of how Minnesota played, I mean. 
Anthony Edwards had another solid game. Wasn't nearly as efficient from the floor as he was in game one. Uh, 20.6 boards, one assist. He tried to stage a few rallies for Minnesota. Uh, again, you know, late in the second, late in the third. He was trying to see it. You could see the effort level kind of pick up there. Uh, still in a kind of... I don't know how to say it. Like, he was trying to string the other baskets on the defensive end. He was looking a little more active there. But it wasn't enough. And, and collectively, I mean, the Wolves just didn't have enough. Uh, Conley Towns, again, battled with foul trouble. Uh, almost shades of the playing game against the Clippers. 15 points, 11 boards, so he was more uh, efficient and played longer. Uh, 27 minutes, uh, 7 8 from the free throw line. The backcourt for Minnesota is really where the struggles began. Or really where the struggles kind of uh, are just lingering. D'Angelo Russell for the second straight game against Memphis looks almost like a total non-entity. 11 points, 4 assists, but 3 of 11 from the field, 2 of 7 from 3. Not able to take charge, really commandeer this Wolves team from the offensive end. You're the point guard. You're setting the tone. You know, you're getting the team in the offense. You're the ones telling them to calm down. Shooting 27%, sub 40% for two games isn't going to do it for you. You know? He just looked out of sorts. Pat Bev totally looked out of it. Six points, four assists, okay. One of six from the field, missed both of his threes. Uh, minus 26, combined, uh, or tied rather with D'Lo, uh, for the worst in the plus-minus department. I don't put a whole lot of stock into that, just as something to bring up on the casual, but it just shows you how much of an active detriment those two were. <laughs> and they're starting point guard and shooting guard. So, not great there. Um, Jared Vanderbilt, he started, didn't really do a whole lot. Uh, Malik Beasley... Definitely much less effective in this game. Jay McDaniel, same thing, missed all four of his threes. Uh, only made one shot at all. Uh, Toy and Prince and Nas Reed gave Minnesota some nice minutes. Both had 12 points apiece. Uh, Nas Reed had seven rebounds. Uh, Toy and Prince, two rebounds, two steals, and an assist as well. But that was really all you got. Jalen Norwell, because the backcourt of Minnesota was so awful, uh, caught in. He got some, some good minutes. He's a guy who usually plays, you know, 8 to 10, but playoff time, he almost had 12 minutes. I wish they were 12 effective minutes. They were not. Uh, 6 points, 3 10 from the field, 0 5 from 3. It just wasn't Minnesota's night. I guess that's the easiest way to put it. But I think it starts at the top. You have to look at how Delo's going to respond. Two straight games of subpar play. Carl Day Towns, uneven play. One really good game. One uh, okay game. Anthony Edwards. The dude's in his first playoff like series. I'm not putting a whole lot of pressure on the kid. I thought he played decent. But you need a, a spectacular game from Ant to even be competitive this one. And the Memphis uh, the Memphis Grizzlies were not going to have that in Game 2. So now, Friday, we go Game 3 in Minnesota. We'll see the home crowd there. See if that galvanizes the Minnesota Timberwolves and gets them to kind of ratchet up their effort level. Um, if not that, maybe a little bit of pride. For getting totally punched in the mouth in this game. Uh, time will tell. We'll see you on Friday. Okay. Let's talk some Heat and Hawks. Um, we have to start with the man of the hour. Jimmy Butler. Who just was insane. <laughs> Last night. Against the Atlanta Hawks. Scoring a playoff career high. 45 points. In the Heat's 115-105 win over the Hawks. This puts them up 2-0 over Atlanta. Bringing this back to the A. Um, listen. Butler was insane out there. 15-25 from the field, 4-7 of seven from 3, 11-12 from the free throw line. Let's circle back to that 4-7 of seven from deep. He shot just 23% this season on three-pointers. 
but he's one of those guys. And Eric Spolster said this after the game. It's like Dwayne Wade. Like, yeah, percentage-wise, historically, Dwayne Wade was never a three-point shooter. But in moments where he is going, in moments where that guy is obviously feeling it, raising his level of play, do you want to let him make a three? Absolutely not. And, and not only that, but four of them. And some of them weren't just like the spot variety. A couple were off the dribble. You know, just manufacturing your shot. When he's feeling it, he's feeling it. It's a different thing altogether. Um, he's one of, what, three players in team history uh, to have three career 40-point playoff games. One, LeBron James. Two, Dwayne Wade. That's it. Because remember, this isn't the first time that uh, Butler has done this for Miami. Got to remember the NBA Finals uh, where he went off and had a 35- and 40-point triple-double uh, throughout the course of that series. So, that was crazy. Um, Butler went and, and manned his own personal 7-0 run in the waning minutes of, of Game 2 to really secure that lead. Uh, the Hawks were down by 16. They fielded a furious comeback, got down to as close as 3. A lot of that on the back of Bogdan Bogdanovich, who had 29 points. Um, I had almost half of those in the fourth quarter. 12-18 from the field, 5-10 from 3. But then again, like I said, Butler went and literally closed it out um, for Miami. And uh, he was far and away the story for the Heat. Uh, Max Struess did play solid 14 points. Um, four, 14 points and 4 assists, rather. You had 15 points from Tyler here off the bench. 11 points from Gabe Vincent, who has been solid this season. And that was kind of it, to be honest with you. P.J. Tucker, three points on one of three. Bam and Abayo, nine points, four rebounds, three assists on three of six. You know, Kyle Lowry, nine points, three rebounds, two assists on two of eight. Not super great, obviously. So, yeah, you look at a team where Atlanta, and we're going to talk about them in a second, fired back. Like, they responded and played well. And Jimmy Butler said, all right, let me put the team on my back. Settle down, we got this. And that's just what we proceeded to do. Pacing the entire way for them. Hitting all manner of shots, relentlessly, you know, generating points um, for Miami, whether it was at the free throw line, um, from three, just just playing a tremendous floor game. And that's something you like to see from Jimmy Butler, who I feel has not had the greatest of years. I mean, obviously injuries were a part of that, but even when he played, I thought he was solid. I think that Miami's uh, collective strength is that they have a, a solid team top to bottom, but Jimmy Butler is the closest thing to a superstar that you would find on that team, and I didn't think he had been one. And it's my own quote-unquote hot take, but, you know, for much of the year. This is one of those games that you love to still see. One of those games where, yes, I can still do it if I want to. One of those games where if we need it and I can I can dig deep, we got this. Just follow my lead. However that looks. Okay, hopefully it doesn't mean fighting a teammate um, and making noise with that on, on the court. Shout out to, you know, Butler Spat with uh, Udonis Haslam a couple weeks ago. But the point being, moved on from that and, and, and honestly led the team in a constructive way that helped them now go up 2-0 over Atlanta, and and going to Atlanta. Mentioned uh, Bogdanovich really being the key player. Other guys stepped up too. Trey Young went from that horrible 1-for-12 performance in Game 1. 25 points, 6 rebounds, 7 assists in Game 2. 10-20 from the field. For the most part, it looked okay. The 2-10 of from 3, that wasn't good. And honestly, a lot of that is like, listen, Miami has a switchable defense, right? A lot of guys in that 6-5 to 6-8 range that can really give a guy like Trey Young problems. I think we know this, right? Now, for Young, you know, being able to make decisive decisions, like, okay, you know, I'm getting trapped at the top, make the right read. Okay, I'm pulling for three. Let's do that. Like, not getting caught, you know, up the sideline or tripped up. 
Like, that's going to be helpful, because hunting mismatches against Miami is going to be tough for him to do, and he's been trying. He was a lot better yesterday, a lot more assertive. That is what I'm looking for. Um, but the two attempt from three wasn't great. He's one of those guys that, you know, when he shoots these long balls, and we, we, we see guys like Dame Lillard do it, like Steph Curry do it, you know, and Trey Young's one of them. But Trey Young is easily, for me, like the least scary of those two. Like when he's filling it, absolutely. But if he misses a couple, and he's still taking them, I mean, okay, like be my guest, but that's not, you know, it's not, it's not your day from out there. You know, some of them I think he was doing just to get himself into some type of rhythm, like didn't shoot himself into one. But it didn't really matter. I mean, listen, if you're 2 of 10, that percentage never looked good unless you start off 1 for 2. You know what I mean? Like, at some point, you got to slow down on the amount of threes you're taking um, if you're going to shoot enough to go 20%. You know what I mean? That's just my own personal thoughts on that. John Collins, man, warrior. You know, still playing injured. 13 points, 10 boards. Monster game for him, 6 of them from the field. DeAndre Hunter gave you 16 points. Not the most efficient. 15 possessions, shooting-wise, but okay. Um, and that was really it. DeLon Wright, solid bench minutes, but uh, Kevin Herter and Danilo Gallinari definitely struggled, um, both combining just to shoot 3 of 11. Well, 3 of 11 from 3, um, th- 3 of 16 from the field. So, not a, a great night for either of them. And, and, yeah, they need more. Moving forward, you, you know, going to Atlanta uh, for Game 3, you hope that Trey Young can look at this defense a little better, the coaching staff. Um, Nate McMillan can kind of dissect what is going wrong, maybe empower other players like we saw Bogdanovich get um, or Bogdanovich receive in game in game two to initiate the offense and, and generate some plays that way. Um, maybe putting Trey Young in some off-ball action to try to utilize him better, not on the ball where Miami can really key into him. I know that Trey Young loves to play on ball. That's his preferred style, but honestly, it's not helping you right now. You know? It's not helping the team right now in that way. So let's try to find other ways to make you more effective. That's what I'd hope to see. You have guys like Bogdanovich, like Herter, like DeLon Wright who can initiate, you know, the offense. That's not the biggest thing. It's really about getting Trey Young going. I think game two was a, a, a much better uh, start, a, a much better step in the right direction. But there's still more to go uh, because you're trying to win this series, right? Like, that's the goal. If you're just trying to be competitive, that's great. I do have one thing I have to say uh, about Trey before I leave this that really rubbed me the wrong way. Uh, basically, after the game, you insinuate, listen, like, Miami, they get these calls, man. Like, you know, they, they're able to be physical with me. They're able to, to kind of rough me up and, and do this. And, like, if they're going to get calls like this, like, we don't have a chance. And I was like, what? Like, dude, that's a, what, what? That's a competitor, bro. You can complain about the refs if you want to. Yeah, no, no problems with that. Listen, give me the respect out there. I'm getting beat up by Miami. Y'all not giving me the calls I need. Like, none of that is, is a problem. But just outright saying, oh, listen, if I don't get help with the refs, I'm getting cooked, yo. <laughs> like, we going home. Like, you don't say that. You can definitely collectively raise your level of play on your own. I just gave a big example. Two of ten from three. Work on that. Get better. If you're going to pull from that deep consistently, do that and, and make it efficient. You know? Kevin Herter could have stepped up his game. Danilo Gallinari definitely could. But to just insinuate that, oh, yeah, my team sucks if I don't get to the free throw line. Like, if we don't get these calls, we're bad. No! There's still levels of play that y'all can raise up to before y'all go, okay, the refs are the biggest um, barometer in this series. Because they most certainly aren't right now. That just wasn't a good look for, for, for Trey, in my opinion. I didn't like that at all. Like, have some pride in that way, yo. You know, maybe it was just him. It wasn't even that deep, but it came off that way to me. Like, you want calls? All right, we need more calls. You know, I, I, 
generate too much pressure at the rim to not get to the free throw line. I'm just pulling that literally out of my butt there. But like I'm saying, that's an example uh, of some type of, uh, of, hey, we need to you know get more respect from the refs, quote-unquote, that I could come up with. But to just say that we need the refs to win, essentially, get out of here with that. Like, come on now. All right. Pelican Suns. Not going to lie. Didn't expect a whole lot from this matchup, especially when Devin Booker came out red hot. Do a 30. 31. In the first half. 12 and 19 from the field. Knocked down seven threes. The dude was just going out and get buckets. Had a, a tough uh, long two as the quarter ended in the first half. Dapped up a baby. Like he was feeling himself like that. Um, really helping Phoenix. Unfortunately, in the third quarter, he did um, get a hamstring injury and would not return. We'll kind of see potential ramifications later. But this isn't about the Suns because, yeah, Dunbar played great. Got to give him all the respect how to start with him. It's about the Pelicans who beat the Suns 125 to 114. That's right. The Pelicans have the series of Phoenix and it is 1-1 heading back to New Orleans. And who were the stars of the show? Brandon Flipping Ingram, 37 points, 11 boards, one assist shy of his first career triple-double. How about that? Imagine if he got his first career triple-double in a game like this. And he did this, like, again, just like Jim Butler, like, mad efficient. Like, if, and in time of need, 14, 13-21 from the field, down to stretch. We need a bucket? Give me the ball. You know? I'll make the three. I'll get my shot on the baseline. I'll rise and fire. I'll get to the free throw line. 8-8 eight, eight from the free throw line. Like, Brandon Ingram's that guy. Every time I see him in New Orleans over the past two years, I've just been like, wow. As a Lakers fan, listen, that championship, 2020, yes. Like, this is why you play the game. This is why you make the trades. Like, absolutely great. But Brandon Ingram's my guy. And to see the way he's flourished in New Orleans, it's been amazing. And he flourished in this game in a major way, not because of, not just because of the help of other players. Uh, there were five Pelicans in double digits. But specifically because of the help of C.J. McCollum, who bounced back um, after playing, you know, just as horrific as Ingram did in Game 1. 23 points, 8 rebounds, 9 assists for McCollum. Almost messed around, got a triple-double himself. Pelicans, playoff franchise career high, 6 three-pointers, 6 of 10 from out there. Really good for McCollum. And he was a guy who really kind of shut the door on a Phoenix run late in the fourth, you know, with a couple of deep threes. Top of the key. You know? Straight away. Like, that is the type of, of, of player that the Pelicans are hoping to acquire. And that's the type of guy they've had since they made the trade for him. A guy who can adjust. Who can lead a team with his playoff experience and the way he's still able to get it done on the floor. And that's what he's able to do. Be, not even, I don't want to say a sidekick for Ingram, but a guy who can match Ingram's level of play from the offensive end and really pace the Pelicans that way. And he did just that. He wasn't the only one. Jonas Valanciunas. A lot more physical in this game against uh, DeAndre Ayton in his matchup. Able to, his will, able to exert his will a little bit more. Double-double. 10 points, 13 rebounds. Much better game from him. Her- Herbert Jones. Amazing. Like, the dude is that guy from the defensive end. But especially when he's giving you points as well. 14 points, 3 assists. Knocked down 2 threes. Great for him. Jackson Hayes. Waste of, of minutes in game 1 in my own estimation. Barely played. But it just wasn't a good matchup when he did. Much better here. Nine points, three rebounds. Had a nice block on Mikel Bridges after Mikel Bridges had blocked a shot of his own. 
two-handed block of a dunk. A momentum swinger. Because Phoenix was going to storm back. Like, yeah, nah, fam. Jackson Hayes took that all out of orbit. Love to see that. Also, he was a guy who was making shots. Phoenix didn't seem to account for that. Was able to maintain his ability as a vertical lob threat. And that was big. Larry Nance, star of the show. Coming off the bench, in my mind. Obviously, Ingram and McCullum got all the love. But Nance fought, man. He only got six rebounds, but it felt like he got ten more. How active he was under the basket. Mixing it up. Thirteen points. Two assists to go along with those six boards. Six and nine from the field. Knocked down a three as well. Really good game from him. And that was it. I mean, even Jose Alvarado. You know, you're not getting a whole lot of, of, of hijinks starting against the point guard in Chris Paul. But eight points. You know, three assists. Didn't miss a shot. What more can you ask for? Trey Murphy, too. Three, three threes for the Rook. Not bad. Like, altogether, the Pelicans really did a good job showing that fight, showing that character that got through to where they are after such a horrific start early in the season. I hate talking about it again and again, but, like, it's baked into the fiber of the identity for this season. 3-16 and 16 or whatever the case may be. I'm exaggerating here a little bit, but you get what I'm trying to come at, right? Like, New Orleans came back and have showed that intestinal fortitude that you need for a team that, yeah, okay, we're outmatched, but, like, we have that dog in us. We will fight. We're going to make things happen, and we got star players who can make big-time plays. For Phoenix, you know, the potential uh, absence of Booker looms large uh, for Game 3 at the end of the week. But, I mean, Phoenix had their chances for sure. They hung around. Um, they are playing pretty decently. I mean, you survived two just objectively bad games from, from two stars of yours. Jay Crowder finished that 1-1-1 uh, one, one, one kind of game. Uh, this time, he did more. 5.6 boards, but he was not good at all shooting. 2 of 11 from the field, 0 of 5 from 3. Chris Paul, as good as he was kind of getting the team together, his floor game as far as assists were well, couldn't find a basket. An uncharacteristic thir- 31% from the field. 5 of 16. 2 of 6 from 3. It wasn't all there. Cam Johnson, normally a reliable bench guy in terms of getting points and and. and Doing it pretty efficiently. 4 of 10 from the field, 1 of 6 from 3. Wasn't having it either. You know? DeAndre Ayton, in 33 minutes, held to just 10 points and 9 boards with 4 assists on 4 of 6. got to get the big guy more involved. I get Devin Booker being hot in the first half and not being a major uh, point on why no one really got a lot of touches because Devin Booker is scorching earth. But after he went out in the third quarter, that's a quarter and a half to play. Really a quarter and more. And I just didn't see the Suns adjust in a way that suggesting success for that game. They deserved to lose. It was what it was. The Pelicans played with a lot more fight, a lot more heart, and, and, and bigger execution down the stretch. Mikel Bridges, solid game. 19.6 boards, 7-11 from the field. How do the Suns look moving forward if they don't have Devin Booker? Obviously, Chris Paul has to step up, but you look at DeAndre Ayton. That dude needs to be more involved. Mikel Bridges, can he continue his level of play? The dude's reliable, but from the offensive end, he's been pretty scalable in terms of, okay, am I going to get, like, my 13 to 15 points? Can I flirt with 20 points? Like, we need more from Bridges consistently. So, that's what I'm looking at. You know, you hope that Devin Booker, he was sitting out, and you saw him, he was on the bench. He looked upset. Is it because, you know, he's a competitor wants to be out there, and the Suns are just using an overabundance of caution and keeping him to the bench? Is it because he knows something about his injury maybe being serious? I mean, there's different ways you can go with that idea. I'm not one to... Um, throw out conjecture like that. I'm just saying in terms of, well, I guess I just did, didn't I? <laughs> the point being, you have to wonder uh, what his impact is uh, in terms of if he is absent. 
the Suns have shown all year they're a resilient, strong team, that their strength as a whole is powerful than any one individual star. Um, they've survived the loss of Chris Paul for a big stretch in the second half of the year. They obviously play without Devin Booker. In fact, one of the biggest knocks on Devin Booker uh, in MVP uh, candidacy, aside from him just not being that kind of guy up there uh, with the candidates I have personally, is that the Suns were just so strong of a team that Devin Booker was kind of just in the mix in that. So I do think that they are definitely more than capable of doing it, um, especially against him with the Pelicans, who are a very good team. But talent-wise, I mean, the Suns had eight more wins than anyone in the entire NBA, and that was for a reason. So we'll see how they respond. But ultimately, really, really good game. Um, love seeing that type of fight from the Pelicans. Love seeing it. And for the Suns, listen, it's all okay. You know, you guys didn't get to number one just by sitting pretty. A lot of grime, a lot of getting in there and mixing it up and, and, and playing playoff basketball and playing the Suns level of basketball that has led you to success all this year. So I expect to see a very fiery game three. I'm looking forward to it. Booker or no Booker, obviously want the health of all players. So I want him to be there, but if not... I'm not losing sleep over it. Phoenix will be ready. The Pelicans will be ready. Let's get it. All right, tonight, got three games. All times Eastern. Start the, the Magic off TNT. Got the Brooklyn Nets and the Boston Celtics. That is a game I'm hyped to see of all the games tonight. Um, Brooklyn, you know, losing on that buzzer-beating layup from Tatum. I know we call it a game winner to not say layup, but that's what it was. Uh, how will they bounce back? Definitely anxious to see that. Boston did a great job of making Kevin Durant uncomfortable, crowding his dribble, you know, just making Kevin Durant look, uh, I, I guess, out of sorts, which seems impossible to do from the offensive end. Seems impossible to do in general, but they found a way. Can they maintain that? We'll see. What they didn't do was find a way to slow Kyrie down. Will they be able to find a way to do that? And for Brooklyn, okay, KD Kyrie, who sells steps up. Goran Dragic had a good game one for you. Can you get some more from Seth Curry? Can Andre Drummond enforce his will around the basket? What are you going to do there? Who on the bench comes through in, in, in big ways? So that's that's questions I'm hyped for today. I do see it being a 1-1 tie at the end of the night, though. But we shall see, and I'll break it down here tomorrow. Uh, 8 o'clock Eastern, NBA TV, Philadelphia and Toronto. Just feel bad for Toronto, man. I said this on our last show uh, with Alicia and Kelsey on Let's Ball Out. Toronto just not being the greatest matchup for Philadelphia right now in terms of throwing adequate bodies to stop Joel Embiid from praying to the free throw line. And also stopping James Harden from also praying to the free throw line. And who knew Tyrese Maxey was going to be such a gosh darn factor, right? And Tobias Harris is playing well. Oh, snap, didn't see that coming. And Danny Green finished double digits. Okay, like, you get the picture. And a lot of that's because Toronto is also banged up and injured. Scotty Barnes, arguably the best player, out with a sprained foot. I think we'll be out for the rest of the year with that. Joel Embiid, like, landing on his foot in a way that looked horrifying. So, that's my own personal thought on that. Fred Van Vliet still looks banged up. Pascal Siakam looks like he has no confidence in his jump shot at all, which is a problem if that's what the Philadelphia 76ers are inviting you. And on the other end, he, as well as a host of other Toronto players, cannot stop Joel Embiid. So he's more than likely also in foul trouble. Gary Trent fighting a non-COVID illness and losing that battle, fortunately. On the court, that, that came off wrong. But, like, on the court, he's trying to fight and, and play, and it's not looking great. He's not having the most effective... Uh, performance out there so you're not getting it from Toronto when you need it and yes I would also be frustrated with the amount of foul calls that Philadelphia is getting and also the disparity between the two but if you just look at it one team just can't match level play the other whether that's due to injury just being caught in the wrong place at the wrong time we'll see but Philadelphia was not kind to Toronto 
Now they head back to Toronto. I'm not going to lie. You don't have um, Multi-Stiebel. I don't think you need him. Just due to the injuries that Toronto has, I think they go down 0-3. And it sucked because a team that played as well as Toronto did all year uh, seemed like they're going to go out with a whimper and not a bang. But it is what it is. Lastly, TNT, Chicago and Milwaukee. Can Chicago bounce back? Was this their best chance to win in game one where they kept it close and Coach Boonholzer inexplicably left Giannis in, out the game with only two fouls for key stretches? Like, you know, where DeMar Rosen again continued his game one struggles and Zach Levine looked lost and Nikola Vucevic was ineffective? Is there a chance that Chicago can replicate this type of, of defensive performance they had in game one and also bring a much better offensive uh, performance to the table? I don't think so. But that's just me. I mean, this is why you play the games. But I, I just think Chicago has looked flummoxed against Milwaukee all year. DeMar DeRozan specifically. So, you know, are you going to get maybe a game from Levine? There's one to hope. Can other guys step up for Chicago? Yes. But also, let's be real. Like, Mike Boonholz are, like, keeping Giannis out when the dude could obviously play with two fouls. That was a coaching uh, decision. It was certainly a decision. I'll leave it at that. But Chris Milton didn't play well. Giannis can play as monstrous as he played uh, even longer. Think about that. You know? Drew Holiday can play a lot better. So, if we're looking at it like that, then no. I I think Chicago had their shot. But, again, this is why you play the games and why you watch them. You don't know. And, And I'm far from, like, basketball Nostradamus to tell you. But this is my own predictions. I see Brooklyn Boston being tied up 1-1. I see Philadelphia leading Toronto three games to zero. And I see Milwaukee going up two games to zero over the Bulls. All right, y'all. But that'll do it here for us at Round Ball Ramble. Definitely, well, me. Definitely make sure to follow me on Twitter at CorbinNBA. Definitely appreciate all of the love, support, positive feedback, negative feedback. I just want to improve the show. So that'll be immensely helpful for you to do so. I just would appreciate that. Thank you very, very much. Um, Sports Ethos on Twitter, at Sports Ethos online, sportsethos.com. Please do that. Also, one more time, check out at AnthethosFantasyBK on Twitter. And also, Manscaped. We still call hoop ball over at Manscaped. We'll get that figured out. But in the meantime, between time, use the coupon code HoopBall20, H-O-O-P-B-A-L-L-2-0, to get 20% off your order and free shipping. H-O-O-P-B-A-L-L-2-0, 20% off your order, plus free shipping. All right, y'all. I'm about to be out of here. I am Frosty. Y'all stay Frosty, and we will discuss tomorrow as usual. Take care, y'all. This has been a Sports Ethos presentation.